Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. like a billion years ago, uh, I had uh, friends moving across the street from me, or actually they weren't friends at that point, a couple moved in across the street from me, had twin teenagers that were exactly my age, we went to school together, it was Jeff and Deborah Becker. Jeff and Deborah became the best friends that I had had up to that point, still Facebook friends with, with Deborah after all these years, and and we rode bicycles together, and we read books together, and we played ball together, and we had a really good time. We were very good friends. Their uh, dad was an air traffic controller, and little me back in those days did not understand that uh, people with careers sometimes moved. So when it came to the ninth grade, Jeff and Deborah ended up moving to Jackson, Tennessee, of all places in the world. Uh, I remember the day they, they moved. I remember the day the movers came. I remember walking down Magnolia Drive with Jeff Becker and struggling as hard as I could not to cry. And Jeff, Jeff didn't seem to be quite as effective because I guess I've learned that he had moved before. He knew the drill. I didn't know the drill. I feel that way today. That's the way I feel about where we're going with the final chapter of the book of Romans. I've spent so much time with John R.W. Stott, with C.K. Barrett, with G.K. Uh, Beale and D.A. Carson, a whole host of reformers from hundreds of years ago. I've spent time with J.D. Greer and Don Piper and John MacArthur. I feel like I've spent so much time with them that when I finished finished the last studying that I had to do that I was saying goodbye to friends. I have, <clears throat> excuse me, I have over a hundred pages of typewritten notes, countless pages of handwritten notes. I've got over 363 pages of sermon notes, and that doesn't count the two sermons that I threw away and put in the trash because I didn't think they were good enough. I have typed up over 105,000 words for this series. And I can imagine some of you are saying right now, well, Randy, you didn't have to quite type that many words. But what I would say to you today is, is we, there's so much here that we have not covered, that we could do another year-long series on Romans and barely duplicate what we've talked about before. This is so rich and good. And here we are at the end. And here we are at the end in an empty room. It's not what I wanted, it's not the way it is, but it's the way God ordained it. So guys, pay attention today. This is the last sermon in our Roman series, chapter 16, the entire chapter. We're going to do it like we did last week. We're going to break up into parts and then, and then talk about it as we go. When we get to the second part of this, we're going to go real fast. So put your listening ears on, get your pen and paper out and ready to write down and, and hang on tight because here we go. Chapter 16 of the book of Romans, verses 1 through 16, I commend to you 
our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apnatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphenea and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Neurus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Just a little aside for you folks in Sunday school that are called to read out loud. I made up the pronunciation of most of those names. So just sort of roll with the flow when somebody calls on you, okay? Here's the deal. It's kind of interesting to me how many people that Paul knew at the Roman church having never gone there. He actually mentions 26 names, 26 names, nine are women four of which he calls out as hard-working women, five are probably slaves. The names that he calls out are, are typical slave names of that age. Ampelatus, Urbanus, Hermes, Philogus, and Julia were very common names for slaves back in those days. Two of them were somebody. Aristobulus was probably the grandson of Herod the Great, who was a friend of Emperor Claudius, and Narcissus, was actually an advisor of Emperor Claudius. Paul knew people from the low end of the spectrum to the high end of the spectrum. Now, we're not going to dwell on these names today except to say this. First, if loving people regardless, regardless of their station in life, regardless of their income, regardless of their race, regardless of their ethnicity, it doesn't matter. If that is, the, if that is a hallmark of being Christ-like, the Romans were Christ-like. Paul wrote to the Galatians later on, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This church in Rome lived this. We are trying to live this as well at the First Baptist Church of Gray. Now, pay attention to this because it pops up from time to time, and I want you to be able to answer this, and I don't want you to repeat something that's not true. And this is something for you to be able to say to folks when they say to you that Paul was a woman hater. You'll hear that sometimes, that, that Paul was a misogynist, he was a woman hater. If that's the case, if he hated women, then why did he mention nine women out of the 26 names that he mentioned, and the only people that he called hard workers were four women? He leads with a commendation of Phoebe, 
who is, a, who is probably the, letter, the lady that delivered the letter to Rome itself. So he entrusted a woman with this work that he had done to deliver to the church at Rome. And she was known as a wealthy deacon. She's female and she's deacon. Deacon from the church at Centuria. Now, there's a difference. Y'all don't freak out. There's a difference in all this, so just be calm. Paul was not a misogynist. Paul was not a misogynist. Paul understands what we need to have the guts to support. Men and women were created by God for different roles. We aren't the same. We'll never be the same. We shouldn't want to be the same. Yes, sexist things happen. I understand that. I'm not tone deaf. But at the same time, while we are all of equal value in God's eyes, what I had to read a minute ago, there's neither male nor female. We have different roles and different responsibilities. Paul understood that and he preached that and he taught that. And people that say that he is a misogynist misunderstand how God created men and women. Now, finally, Paul tells all of them to greet one another with a holy kiss. I hate to break this to you high school guys and middle school guys. This isn't what you think it is. This does not give you the opportunity to go up to that cute girl in the student group and give her a little kiss in Jesus' name. That's not what it is. J.B. Phillips translates it and says, give, give each other a hearty handshake all around for my sake. Basically, what he's saying is, y'all need to be real glad to see each other. Y'all just need to be really, really glad to see each other. So, guys, I'm sorry, you're going to have to find another way because this isn't your scripture that you get to use. Romans 16, 17 through 23 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus or our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. The God of peace will soon come crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you as does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. He, Paul dictated, Tertius transcribed it. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you as well. I think I can sum this section of Romans up with this sentence. You know the truth. Now don't blow it. You know the truth. Don't blow it. We live in a world now that has more skeptics in it than it has believers. We live in a world now where the word Christian doesn't mean what it seemed to have meant a long time ago. The word Christian now has a wide, wide range of meanings. And to call somebody a Christian is almost meaningless sometimes because of the, the range of meaning that word has started to take, take on. And one of the reasons for that is because we have had a bad habit of falling in love with the messenger at the expense of the message. 
And Paul's warning us against that. He says, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve the Lord Jesus, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Smooth talk and flattery. Y'all, since we started this uh, COVID-19 live streaming thing we've done for week number 10 now, it's changed all of our Sunday mornings. And let me just say this about that a little off the side right quick. Remind your friends that we really do want to gather at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. I know you can watch this at noon or at 6 p.m. Or, or on Thursday afternoon. I understand that. But there's something sort of special when we know that the church is gathered, even though it's scattered, at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. You can see comments from folks. You can see some folks that's there. And it is a special time. Don't let it slip. It's easy to do right now, but, but don't. Now, what was the point that I was going to make? Oh, changed our, uh, it's, it's changed the way we do things. I get an extra cup of coffee on Sunday morning, and I watch our service in sweatpants and a T-shirt. Woo, really dressed up, Right. But I also watch TV preachers. I'm watching more TV preachers than I've ever watched in my life. And last Sunday, I watched three TV preachers. The first one I watch, I'll call by name, David Jeremiah, because David Jeremiah preached an excellent sermon and exalted Christ all the way through it. It was a wonderful sermon based on the scripture. He does a great job. The second guy I listened to was a very famous preacher who, who gave an excellent speech on motherhood. He bumped up against the scripture once or twice, but never really used it. It was just a good story about his mom and stuff like that. Okay, I got it. I like mothers too, but that really wasn't. And then the third guy, the third guy, uh, he was the scariest because he didn't read any scripture at all. He just paraphrased the story. But when he paraphrased the story, he paraphrased it wrong and he took it to a place that it was never intended to go. But I'm telling you, it sounded good. And he was smooth and his language was flattering as he spoke. But he took a Bible story someplace that it should never have gone. He was wrong. And here's the sad thing is if I did not know that story, I would have believed him. And when we're not in the word and understand the stories, we can be deceived by people like that. Scripture's telling us right here to beware of those people and avoid them. Listen, there's some malevolent characters who are outside the church who are hateful and they're vicious in their attacks of the church. And sometimes we step back and and it even makes us think a little bit, maybe this, maybe that, but then we know what we're doing. There are some silver-tongued devils in the church who are slick and smooth. Their message is awfully attractive. And that message will make you forget sometimes what you know or doubt what you know because his message or her message sounds so good. Avoid them. Now, here's the question you ought to ask yourself. How do I know who these people are? How do I know that I should watch out for those who teach contrary to the doctrine you have been taught? That's an excellent question because for the last year, we've been talking about doctrine. For the last year, we have talked about what is right and pure 
Christian doctrine. And so for the next few minutes, we are going to go through the entire book of Romans one more time. Sit still, don't pass out. We're going to do it fast. Are you ready? The entire book of Romans, this is the truth of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can hold these other teachers up to what I'm talking about here. You can say, Randy, how do I know that you're right and they're wrong? Because what I am talking to you about today is based on the inerrant, absolutely infallible word of God breathed by the Holy Spirit, backed up. It is the scripture. It is God's word. It is the Holy Spirit speaking to us today. You can take this to the bank. Check me out. Follow me and see if I'm wrong. Are you ready? Here we go. Chapter 1. Paul told us in Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For the next 16 chapters, Paul will develop what the gospel is, what the good news is that makes us right with God, that can only be accessed by faith, and that this will change your life. That's what he does for the next 16 chapters. The remainder of chapter 1 is explaining to us that there is a creator God who created you and me. He is plainly seen in everything that's been created. He created an order for life, and we have ignored that order in creation. You remember towards the end of Romans, you heard three times that he turned them over, that God turned them over, those who were disobedient, those who didn't pay attention, those who wanted to deny who he was, they turned, he turned them over to do whatever they wanted to do so they would get whatever they deserve and that they would end up at the place that they knew they were going to end up. Chapter 2, Paul tells us that if you're counting on being a good person to get into heaven, you are in a mess. Unless you can do everything right every time for the rest of your life, you'll never get to heaven and you will never experience God in this life either. Paul keeps that up into chapter 3 where we hear one of the best known Baptist verses of all time, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember now, Paul has hammered us in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, telling us over and over again, you cannot live up to God. You cannot live up to him. You are not on his level. Nothing you ever do will be good enough for God to lean back and say, hey, you know what? Hello, Randy, he's one of us. Look over there. That Rebecca, she's one of us. No, with, without anything. We can never be one of us in God's world. We can never be there. As right as we were, right as we were ready to despair in chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three, just about killed me because every Sunday I'm coming in here preaching, we're horrible people. We are far from God. We are, we, we can't get there. I mean, it was sad. It was heavy. Right in the middle of all of that, we get Romans 3, 22 through 24. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 3.23 is embedded in the midst of a bastion of hope. Yes, we have all sinned, but every one of us who has faith in Jesus Christ has been made right with God, not because of what we have done, but as a gift from God himself because he wanted to do it. Chapter four, 
continues the theme. And we hear Paul say this in verses 15 and 16. For the law brings wrath, but there, where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. It is because of God's mercy and God's grace that we're, our sins are forgiven. The one thing that I want you, well, that's not true. There's lots of things I want you to remember here. But one of the things that I want you to remember here is when we look at the scripture, it is not about us, it's about God. And because it's about God, it then becomes about us. But we're looking at him first. We are here, we're saved, we're Christians, we are gathered as the body of Christ because God chose us out of the world to be this. We didn't choose this. We didn't walk down an aisle and become this. We were called by the Holy Spirit of God to be this. He is to be praised. Chapter 5 has one of the most powerful sentences in all the world in it, uh, using the Phillips translation. And we can see, verse 6, that it is while we were powerless to help ourselves that Christ died for sinful men. Now, maybe you know this, or maybe you don't. Maybe you don't know this mercy, but I guarantee you, you know powerlessness because right now you're sitting yourself at home because somebody in power somewhere told you that you have no power. You understand powerlessness. You understand powerlessness when you wear a mask and go somewhere because you're afraid something you can't see is going to make you sick. You understand powerlessness. You understand powerlessness when you go on your diet mm -hmm, for the 500th time to lose the same 10 pounds that you've lost 500 times. You know powerlessness every time you walk by a bottle and you hear it calling your name. You know powerlessness when you see the syringe that hasn't been used laying on the sidewalk and you know that it wouldn't take much for you to use that. You know what powerlessness is and that's why this is such good news. While you were powerless, while we are powerless, Jesus died to make you right. Jesus died to make you right with God and to fix your life, Jesus died to give you the power to overcome every obstacle that keeps you from having the glory that God created you to have in the beginning. All fall short of the glory of God, but when we are saved and changed, we then get his glory inside of, of us and we can reflect that glory to the world. He did that for us. Chapter 6 is the great freedom chapter. Verses six and seven, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Some of you need to listen to this very, very carefully because some of us, some of us believe still that if we don't follow all the rules just right, we're all gonna die and go to hell, that God's not gonna like us, that we're gonna be in trouble, that we almost need last rites before we die to make sure that all of our sins are covered. And this scripture is telling us right here, telling us the one who has died has been set free from sin. We have been set free from sin. We are not slaves to sin anymore. You are not required to sin. And any sin that our flesh commits 
has been brought to nothing. It doesn't count because Christ has set us free from the power of sin. We are free. Now, do not misunderstand me and do not misquote me. I am not saying that we live in some sinless perfectionism. That's nonsense too because we gotta go to chapter seven. But what I am saying is this. When Christ died on the cross, I died on the cross with him. When he was buried in the tomb, I was buried with him. And when he was raised on the third day, I was raised with him. And when he was exalted into the heavens, I was exalted into the heavens with him. Go read Ephesians 2. You'll understand it. We've taught that before. I am dead to sin. I'm not required to sin. I'm not a slave to sin. Will I sin? Yes, I will. But I am free. Do you understand what it means to be free? Some of you do. Some of you have been in dark, dark places. And you're out now because of what God has done for you. Chapter 7 is the reality chapter. While I'm dead to the law, I've been set free from, from sin. Paul says this, For I do not understand my own actions, but I do the very thing I hate. And I do not... Do, let's see, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Who hasn't said that? Which one of us hasn't said that? Who of us is not living that right now? But do you remember what Paul said at the end? Do you remember what his heart cry was, which is the same heart cry of ours sometimes? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. He is my deliverer. He is the one that set me free. Listen to me. The tension will not. Listen to me and understand this and quit living in bondage. The tension never goes away this side of heaven. We always feel like I should have done better, I could have done better, I might have done better. But at the same time, I know that I know that I know that I know that I am free from worrying about it because I am at the, because at the right time, Jesus died for me and set me free. And that leads us into chapter eight. Glory be to God. It is the greatest chapter on the face of the earth. Verse one tells us, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Verse 11 tells us, if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, our mortal bodies have life through, through Jesus. Verse 18 says that the suffering we're going through right now is nothing compared to the glory that we're gonna have one day. Janet, I want you to hear that, honey. The suffering that you're going through right now is nothing compared to the glory. The suffering that Daryl went through is nothing compared to the glory that the man is experiencing right now. And for for all of you that have ever walked through that valley of the shadow of death, it was a shadow because now your loved one is experiencing the glory. Verse 28 says, all things work to my good. All things, you remember we said that, all means all, right? All things because God is sovereign and God is good and God is looking out for us all the time. Nothing happens to me that's arbitrary and capricious. He either causes it or he allows it for his purpose because of verse 29. God has a plan for my life. He's working that plan and that plan is for me to look like Jesus. Verse 37 and 38 say that not only am I a super conqueror, not, not only can I overcome any obstacle through Christ, that there is nothing that can can separate me from the Jesus 
from Jesus' power now and for all eternity, regardless of how I feel, regardless of how you feel, regardless of how anybody tries to make you feel, regardless, period, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can do it. If you've never trusted Jesus, listen to me, friend. I know lots of people will let you down, and before you die, lots of people are going to let you down some more. But the one person who will never let you down is Jesus Christ, my Savior and Lord. He is the most loyal friend that you will ever have. You need to follow Jesus. Chapter 9 was one that I had a lot of comments on because you wanted to come and correct me. And I hated it for you because you were wrong and I was right. Chapter 9 talked about predestination. And everybody goes, oh, my word. But the point of that is God is sovereign over all things. There is nowhere that God doesn't belong. There is nowhere he can't go. There is no decision that's beyond his power. Nothing is beyond his reach. Nothing is out of his control. Then you get to verse 10 that sort of opens it up for us. He makes sure that we understand that the gospel is open to all who believe. Verse 9 says to confess and believe. Last week we used the word hearken, do you remember? That means to listen to something and then respond to it. That you don't just hear it and walk down an aisle and join a church and get baptized into a baptistry and then you're done, you know, one and done, one call, that's all. It's not that at all. It is walking down the aisle because you understand all of these things that we've set up to this point, that God created, that you sinned, that Jesus died at the right time. He did it for you. By his grace, you're saved, and you want to follow him forever. That's what that, that's what that is. I've used the phrase before, stake your life on Jesus. They all mean exactly the same thing. Because verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Chapter 11 talks about the Jews and the Gentiles and how they all fit together. But it's verse 33 that we've got to hold on to very, very tightly. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Whenever you get the feeling like God isn't fair or that God isn't listening or God doesn't seem to know what he's talking about or God doesn't seem to know what he's doing or this isn't fair because if there was a God in the world, then all this stuff would be different. You need to remember that God's ways are unsearchable. His judgments are unsearchable. His ways were inscrutable and then refer back to chapter eight where all things work to your good because he's working a plan to make you like Jesus, to give you glory and to bring good, good for everybody. Chapters 12, 13 and 14 explain how to get along with ourselves, how to get along with people in the church, people outside the church, the government, and then how to get along with people again. Chapter 12 tells us to go all in for Christ as living sacrifices, making up our minds to follow his way above everything else. Chapter 13 told us how to get along with the government. And like I said at that time, can you imagine that three weeks before the government said that we needed to close our doors for a little while is when Jesus laid out in front of us, this is how you should respond to your government. First Baptist Church in Gray, Georgia, followed the scripture and has done exactly what we were led to do, not by governors, but by Jesus, by what the scriptures tell us to do. Chapter 14 told us not to argue about matters of indifference, but we all have a PhD in arguing. That was a hard, for, hard thing for us, but he tells us don't, mar, don't argue about things that don't matter. 
Chapter 15 reminded us to dance the one who brung you, that Jesus made us right with God, and because of that, we should follow him and him alone. We talked about that I will do precisely what I love the most for the one that I love the most, so that the more we love Jesus, the more we will follow Jesus. And that is, when you love somebody, you keep watching them and see what they do, and you fall in love with all their stuff. This is no difference. We learn about Jesus We find Jesus, we fall more and more in love with Jesus, and this is what we do. I will do precisely what I love the most for the one that I love the most. And then we get to today. We get to chapter 16, and we hear the Spirit whispering into our hearts, you've been finding Jesus for a year. Give Jesus to somebody. That's what Paul did. He said, I've completed my mission. I've done everything here. Now I've got to go somewhere else and give Jesus. Because the more I find out about him, the more I've got to tell somebody about him. What an incredible journey we've been on. But listen, we didn't go through this journey. I didn't do this just to make y'all smarter. I don't care if you get any smarter or not. What I want you to do, what I want you to know is Jesus. Do you remember back in Romans 8, 29, where the scripture says, for those whom he foreknew. Do you remember what we talked about there? Don't forget this. Foreknew doesn't mean that he just knew that that you were going to accept Jesus as your Savior one day. That's not what this is saying at all. What this is saying is that before there was a you, that he had purposed in his heart to love you. Foreknowledge means that he loved you before time, time began. That the Father in heaven had already made up his mind before you were born before you committed any sin, before you did anything that you have done that you think is despicable or wonderful, he had already made up his mind that he was going to love you no matter what you did, no matter where you went, no matter where you went with whoever you went with. The father knew you. He knew you better than you know yourself. He knew your good days when you're a saint And he knows your bad days when your actions and your words make the devil blush. He knew you would need a rescuer because you could never make it on your own. And so he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to live the perfect life that you and I couldn't even dream about. To die a death that we knew that we'd die one day. To be raised to life again. Something that that we would believe is impossible if we didn't know better. Some of us have lived white bread lives where the worst thing that ever happened to us, the worst sin we ever committed was just sort of kind of embarrassing more than anybody else. Others of us have walked in places that angels fear to tread. The great leveler for all of us, the great leveler for all of us is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It makes no difference which side you fall out on. The good news is, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. That was me. But I heard the good news. I heard about Jesus. I found Jesus. And the more I hear about Jesus, the more I want to hear about Jesus. My friend, you know, don't you? You know. You know you need a rescuer. You know, you know that you need to be forgiven. You fought against it. You're in a place right now, maybe you were alone or maybe you were just a couple of other people. You're not in a big room full of people. 
you're by yourself almost, or maybe you are by yourself. And right this moment, you can remember all of the things. You know who you are in your heart. And you know that if there is a God in heaven, which there is, and he created you and has a right to tell you what to do, a right to show you the best way to live life, that you've completely turned your back on him. You know that you need to be forgiven. You know it. You feel it. You sense it in your heart. I want to give you an opportunity right now, right now, to be forgiven. You have heard fast. You have heard the gospel of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was raised on the third day to prove that he was the Lord of the dead and the living. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father where he will sit through all eternity. And one day we will join him there. And he did it for you. Will you ask him right now to forgive you from your sins and to rescue you? And will you commit to him that you will follow him to the best of your ability, that you will turn away from your old life and you will turn to him and accept his new life? If you will do that right now, would you bow your head at home and would you pray a prayer similar to this with me? Would you do that? Bow your head. Lord, you know me better than I do. You know I'm a sinner. And if I keep up like I am, I will be in hell one day. I know that Jesus died because of my sins. And I ask you to forgive me. I promise I will follow you the best I can from this day forward. Thank you for making me free. Please show me how to be free. I need you. Be my Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to ask you one more thing. If you prayed that prayer, will you type in the comments on Facebook, I prayed that prayer? That's all. I prayed that prayer. It's a whole lot better than walking down an aisle or standing up or any of the crazy things we do in a church. Would you simply type in the comments, I prayed that prayer? There's no obligation there, none whatsoever. I'll check the comments. If I see that you prayed the prayer, I'll direct message you. And any way that I can help or any of the staff can help get you started on your journey with Jesus for the rest of your life, we will help you do that. Because this is the greatest moment of your life. You may not understand it yet, but I promise you, you will look back and realize this was the pivot point of your entire existence. There's one more thing left, and if you were following along in the Bible, you noticed that I left out the last verses. Austin is gonna clear that up for you in just a minute. I wanna thank you for taking this journey with me. It has been a very special thing. I've never done anything like it, and I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed this, how much closer to Jesus I've become because of this how much freer I am and how much I understand there is so much more freedom for me to understand. I pray that this has meant something very special to you. Soli Deu Gloria. Glory to God alone.
Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Thank you.